Brian, I'm going to hand it off to Brian, but I want to just remind you that Brian flies out this afternoon. If you didn't catch this last week, he's heading off to Kenya. And um, he and his brother, well, actually, Brian is heading to Atlanta today, Kenya tomorrow, and he'll be gone for 10 days or so and doing an incredible work there with, with uh, Tim and Kathy McLean, who we prayed for last week. And so I just have a little oil. Anoint, I'm just going to pray. You can just stretch out a hand if you'd like. If you think that's weird, then tough. Uh, it's, uh, it's basically we're just saying, Lord, extend your hand to Brian and upon him. And so just pray with me. Jesus, we anoint Brian in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would, uh, you, you've ordained this man for ministry. We pray that you would send him out with a special commissioning, with an anointing that is like Psalm 133 that it would establish and create unity and authority. Lord, we pray for power in his message, power in his life. We pray for miracles. We pray for provision. We pray that you'd keep him well. Any sickness that would seek to rise up against him, we say it has no place in Jesus' name. We rebuke it, and we pray, Father, that you would make him dangerous. <laughs> with your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Yeah, that's awesome. Pastor, Pastor uh, Tim asked me to speak at their church in Kenya next week. So Pastor Jeff suggested, he's like, well, why don't you write a message this week and use it twice? So y'all get to be, y'all get to be practice. So if it doesn't go well, I'll, fi- I'll fix it. Andy, why don't you come on up here? I'm going to pray really quick for the message. And then um, whenever I have large chunks of scripture, I like Andy to read because he reads way better than me. And then uh, we're going to go through this. So, Father, bless this, bless this message. Um, bless these words. Um, bless this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you want to read along, we don't have this part on the screen. It's too long. But if you have a Bible, it's 2 Samuel 9, the whole chapter. Okay? So you just read to that line. So here's Andy. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am. Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, uh, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? 
Then the king summoned Saul's servant, Ziba, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Thank you. So we're talking today about Mephibosheth, which is a hard word to say for an American, but Mephibosheth it is, or just Sheth for short. Yeah, the Sheth is the hardest part, so you just, you kept that. <laughs> we'll call him Fib. Um, anyway. So just to make sure everybody's up to speed on what's going on, David is king of Israel after taking over from Saul, who did not do a very good job in a kind of a murky transition of power, um, and Saul's sons trying to claim, you know, take over and all these sorts of things. And when all of that is settled out, um, <clears throat> chapters later, he's like, you know, I need to make good on a promise I made, and I need to find <clears throat> a descendant of Saul that we can bless, and that's where we find Mephibosheth. And so um, he, he, he starts in a bad spot. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this story. Um, I'm going to draw out some points, and then what you need to do, and I will remind you to do this, is see yourself in the different people in this story. <clears throat> I'll ask you to see yourself in Mephibosheth, then see yourself in King David's position, some of these sorts of things. And... Uh, we can all relate on multiple levels on this, in this story. So the first thing that I wanted to bring up about this is that Mephibosheth finds himself with a defining characteristic. If you notice when you read this, it stuck out to me that um, it kind of takes a while for the dude's name to even show up in the whole story. It's, it's like the story starts, is there anyone left? Da, 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 da. And then the way down is like, oh, yeah, by the way, his name's Mephibosheth. Because when he asked this Ziba guy, who's one of Saul's former servants, Saul's now passed away, he's like, yes, one of John's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. It's like, okay. I, you know, it's like I didn't ask that specifically. But we find this man not even defined as, you know, by his name or maybe so. Because his name actually means um, shameful speaker of shame. And his identity is rooted in shame. So this guy gets introduced as, hey, this is broken foot guy. Which means in their culture, their context, and that sort of thing, this guy ain't good for nothing. You know? So I wonder how many of us here feel as though we have a defining characteristic that's similar. Brokenness, shame, powerlessness. This guy couldn't take care of himself. 
He found himself left out. And in the story, like, it actually tells you how this happened. Um, when Saul died, the, his grandfather, the king, there's a lot of fighting going on. Not sure who's taking over and who's, you know. And the, the nurse that was caring for Mephibosheth um, gets frightened. And in the panic to leave, he gets tripped or dropped or something and he breaks both his feet. Pastor Jeff was telling me, it's not clear in the Hebrew whether he was, it was, he was dropped, like she dropped him or he was in the wrong place and he fell or it's not totally clear. It doesn't really matter because the way we're going to use this today is asking yourself a question that if, if you feel like you have a defining characteristic of this sort, sometimes it can be caused by you, like if he was out of place and he tripped, sometimes it's caused by other people. And sometimes our response to fear causes this sort of damage to other people. And then we find, where does this guy live? He lives in a town called Lodabar, Lodabar, or whatever. What that means? No bread. Place of no bread. So not only is he defined by shame and brokenness and powerlessness, he comes from a place that hasn't got any resources. We were talking about this this week. They don't know exactly where this place is, but they, you know, Israel ain't, it's not that big, so they have a general idea. And Pastor Jeff said he's been there. It, ain't, it wasn't anything then, it ain't anything now. So, this is, so guy with nothing, busted, broken, shameful, coming from a place of nothing. And then to make matters worse, he gets called by the king to Jerusalem. Now, some might even say, well, what's so bad about that? <laughs> well, in this transition period, as I was referring to, things didn't always go so well. One of Saul's sons decided he was the king because why not, you know? And he tried to get people to rally around him and all this sort of thing. And then fighting ensued, and David had to deal with a lot of this. And one of the things that ended up happening is a lot of Saul's descendants had to be done away with because they were fighting. We had, there was battles and things of that sort. You can read all about it in First and Second Samuel and all. The whole, the whole story from the rise of the kings and all the way to this point. So when he's like, is anybody left? I mean, we've, we've killed a bunch of them, and they also got killed on their own accord. Um, they're like, yeah, there's this one guy left. He's busted. He doesn't have anything. And they're like, well, go get him. So he gets this message, hey, the king wants to talk to you. And I, I'm pretty sure he's thinking, darn, <laughs> I thought I'd gotten out of this. You know, now I'm going to go be killed. And so he's coming to David, to Jerusalem. And what I expect is uh, as he, he, he's seeing himself as the king's enemy. He's the enemy of the rightful king because of things his family had done. And he finds himself in a broken and powerless state with no resources and the enemy of the king. And if you can't see what I'm doing, I'm kind of obviously making a parallel between our spiritual state as we stand before the Lord Jesus 
um, that due to our inherited sinful state, we find ourselves as an enemy of the king. Because, and you know this intrinsically, because if I came up to you and said, hey, God wants, it, like, you know, just walking up to somebody on the street, hey, God wants to talk to you, <laughs> uh, might, I want to pass on that, you know. If God is, in fact, some sort of all-knowing, all-powerful being, that's not going to end well for me, you know. <laughs> so we can relate to this sort of situation. So dude finds himself broken, powerless, no resources, headed towards the king. But what he doesn't know is the king has a covenant with his father, Jonathan. Saul's son, Jonathan, and David were close friends, and they made an agreement, which you can see, 1 Samuel 20, 14 and 15. This is Jonathan responding back. He says, But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off everyone from David's enemies, you know, and all this. So David knows he needs to make good on this. Mephibosheth does not know. And so he comes expecting um, maybe what he even deserves, if you can feel that. He comes before the king, and the king surprises him with an invitation. Why don't you come live here? Why don't you be like my son? And why don't you eat at my table? This is the kind of thing only the king can offer. And Mephibosheth is, who is your, he asks, who is your servant himself? Who am I that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me? That's what we find in the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is what's going on. Sorry, it's getting kind of heavy in here. But, but David is representing some deep Hebrew concepts here that we find fulfilled in Jesus, represented by Hebrew words. One is hesed, which, was, which describes the king, God's loving faithfulness, loving kindness. And tikkun elam, which refers to the repairer of worlds. So Jesus, as king of the universe, offers to us sonship instead of brokenness, powerlessness, daughtership. Don't, don't get weird about that. Son and daughtership. You know what I'm talking about. Um, instead of brokenness, powerlessness, and no resources. And you get it all. It says he regularly ate at the king's table. So things are looking pretty good. You get it all. You get it all. But the devil hates this. The devil is the enemy of our Lord. The devil hates this. So this is a weird, weird, to me, like I read through this story, and man, what a great story. And then you get to the end of it. I mean, I'm talking... Let me see. The last verse of this story, okay, in this chapter. It says this, And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and regularly ate at the king's table. 
So this guy gets everything, and he's still known as the dude with broken feet. This is weird to me. And it stuck out to me. And I was like, what is up with this? And this is what I think God showed me. And this is the point of the message that I've been laying out here. When the Lord reaches out to us with this gift of everything, and we accept it, and we regularly eat at the king's table, sometimes outward perception is not all that different. And there's always going to be people in your life who are speaking on behalf of the devil and say, the same old guy. It's the same thing. Then nothing changed. Nothing's changed at all. I mean, look at him. He's still busted feet guy. And the devil, the devil has an exchange like this in the Bible with God over another guy named Job. Because... Mephibosheth's probably feeling pretty good about his situation. I was dead. I was sentenced. I was going to die. I had nothing anyway. My name means shameful. And now I'm a, base, I'm a son of the king. I eat at the king's table. And then you got this little tagline, busted feet guy. You hear, I hear an echo of the devil's exchange with God in the book of Job. Because Mephibosheth is faithful to David, like Job is faithful to God. God says to Job, or God says to the devil, because they're having an exchange about people and how bad they are, how good they are. And he's like, well, have you looked at my servant Job? Implying, this is a pretty straight up guy. The devil's like, well, of course he's faithful and, you know, whatever. Look at all the stuff you gave him. He's rich. He's powerful or, you know, if you took all that away, pretty sure he'd turn on you. You're going to have to read Job to figure out what happens with that. But what I'm saying is this is the stuff, this is the kind of stuff the enemy says. And it can come to you straight in your own head. Your, your own mind can think of it. Demons can speak in ways that demons speak. Other people can speak on behalf of the devil. Same old. Ain't nothing changed. You still got busted feet. But I'm going to make the case that there was something different. Because the story keeps going. David gets old. David um, is still the king, but when kings get old, people get weird. Because they want to be the next king. And this starts to happen with one of David's sons, and he goes off and sets up his own thing, and People start following him, and there's a lot of confusion, and David has to flee from Jerusalem. He has to go hide, and it's a whole long story. Read in 2 Samuel. It keeps going and going, and then some people are faithful, and some people are not. And so you remember the servant that we talk about, Ziba, here. When David's fleeing, he shows up with David's in hiding, and this guy shows up, and... Uh, David and him have an exchange. He's like, well, I'm, I'm faithful to you. You know, that Mephibosheth guy, he's, you know, he's, he, he, he's turned on you. I mean, he didn't come. Look, I'm here. He didn't come. He was, he was just into what you gave him, you know. 
Same old, you know, same old broken feet guy. You can't count on him. David's like, all right, then I, I, I'll give you everything I gave him. You know, you're the faithful one. So once things get kind of put back right and David shows back up in Jerusalem, Mephibosheth is there to meet him. So <laughs> if you turn your back on a king and then he comes back, you don't go out to meet the guy, all right? Because then you are going to die. But he goes out to meet him. So all we know so far is, you know, man, that guy was a punk. He was, he was broken. He's turned his back on him. Look at this, this servant. He gave, us the, he gave us the information. This guy's, a, you know, a disappointment. But he meets David, and he's in a condition of mourning. And it's the kind of stuff you can't just dress up all of a sudden. Like he hasn't been keeping himself. His beard has grown out. There's like a state of mourning. And he's been in that state of mourning since David left. You can't just, all right, beard, you got to grow a couple inches right now so I can look like I've been in mourning for a few. You see what I'm saying? He's been doing it. He's phys- his physicality, which has been... Proving, you know, his brokenness is now proving his faithfulness. So David's looking at him. He's like, what's going on? Why didn't you come out and meet? Why didn't you come out? And he's like, I tried. I told that guy, this Zeba fellow, to get my donkey ready. And instead of taking me, he just left. And he told you all this stuff. And he's like, and David's sitting there in his mind going, oh, I already gave that guy all this stuff, (laughs) you know. And uh, so he says something back. And I read some commentaries about it because it's not a, I guess it's not, again, another thing that's not totally clear. He either says, I believe you and I restore everything back to you. Or he says, you know, I believe you, but you guys, you know, divide up how this works or something like that. You know, give him, like, one of the Bibles says something like, you know, you guys can split this stuff between you or something like that. Again, it's all about the stuff. And so whether or not David in that moment says, I believe you and I give all this stuff back to you. Or he says, I believe you and y'all give him some of it. Or I don't know exactly how that works. Because that guy kind of gets off for lying or whatever. Um, but the point is this. The stuff doesn't matter to him at all. He responds. Second Samuel 19.30. So Mephibosheth says, give him all of it. I'm content just to have you safely back, my lord, the king. So here's the point. Jesus gives us everything. But that's not the point. The point is, we get to be with him at the king's table. So broken feet, or fully restored feet, because you could meet this guy one day. This isn't like a fable. This is like a real story of a real guy who really was alive. And when the Lord returns, and you know the new heaven, new earth, and there's redeemed people walking around you could probably dig this guy up find him somewhere hey where is that guy he's not going to be a broken feet guy all right in the kingdom of god he's going to be walking around but he's not going to care you see what i'm saying it's not about the stuff it's not about the benefit it's about the king himself and being with him and so when jesus comes 
he makes invitation to the king's table to the most unlikely folks, like Stephanie was talking about, tax collectors. That's like a mob guy, you know. They're corrupt, you know. So it's like he starts with the Godfather as one of his one of his disciples. You're like, what? You know, Zacchaeus is another bad dude. And whatever, some of them aren't so bad. I mean, they're not all bad guys, but it's just it's a, it's a, it's a strange cast of characters. And he offers, you know, this inclusion to people that we would never include. And then the book it keeps going. And then Paul is offering it to Gentiles, which is far beyond what people are comfortable with, which includes most of us. And the kingdom of God is growing even now. So we find ourselves, this is where we can start to identify with David as people who are at the king's table that God has called us to invite people to the king's table. And who are you going to invite? We've been talking about our new website. And one of the things that got me most excited about our new website is this section of ministry resources because We've got to start understanding that what we do here on Sunday morning is this fraction of what our church is. You know, even Jeff and I who work here full time, a lot of our lives is spent outside of this building. More so for every single one of you. And the ministry resources are things where we can start using to deepen our relationship with the Lord and start sharing it with other people. Is it hard? Yes. Is it awkward? Yes. Will it go poorly? Some of the time. But um, it will also be amazing and transformational. So anyway, I want to say this prayer as a closing statement. Um, I think it encapsulates this message well and simply. And what this is, is in Luke 1, um, Mary, Jesus' mother, finds out that she's, she is uh, having Jesus as her son. And she goes to visit her cousin, and she's having John the Baptist as her son. And the there's a whole exchange, and Mary um, responds with this prayer to God that, uh, Kayla, come on up here, that uh, some people call Mary's Magnificat. Um, but I just think it touches on so many of these things that I'm just going to read it. Because when you encounter grace, undeserved, you know, we can't earn these things. These things are beyond our, our grip. But they're just given to us. But the most important thing given to us is the seat at the king's table. This is what she says. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. 
He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. And has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So Jesus came as the king of kings and he started offering a seat at the king's table to everyone. And that includes you and me and everyone we know. And not everyone either knows that or has taken him up on that offer. So I want to invite you this morning. We're going to close celebrating communion as a representation the permanent representation established by Jesus of his table is literally a table. And we come and take of Jesus' flesh and blood and eat them. Father, I pray that we've spoken mysteries and even maybe coded messages, but Father, I pray that you would speak through this. And through this action of coming to your table, Lord, you would speak to us the importance of your invitation and your grace-filled mercy that you offer to us undeservedly. And even if we are the people of broken feet, and even if after sitting at your table we still remain the people of broken feet, We will stay at your table, Father. And we'll respond when the devil whispers in our ear. Nothing's changed. We will respond. Oh, yeah, it's changed. I get to sit at the king's table. what it is and what this honor means. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Carrie, would you